If I've learned anything about this time of year in our homeschools, it is that homeschool families are most likely to give up, burn out, feel bored, feel unmotivated, experience seasonal affective disorder or seasonal affective effect, try to unhappily force themselves and their kids through their regular homeschool routine and plans. It's that time of year. And girlfriend, that is not a formula to enjoy your homeschool life. Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. I'm Teresa Wiedrich, homeschool life coach over at CapturingTheCharmLife.com. This season is dedicated to those homeschool moms who want to shed what's not working so they can show up authentically, purposefully, and confidently. On today's episode, we're going to discuss Kristen Neff's book, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, and how it might influence our homeschool lives. Since I've been writing my homeschool stories from the October of my first homeschool year, every Wednesday evening with a pumpkin spice latte and a scone, my journal and a pen over at Starbucks, and I began to blog the following spring, I've noticed a few patterns in myself over the course of my homeschool years. I wonder if you would identify some of these patterns yourself if you've been doing this long enough. About July, I'm planning, I might be going to a conference somewhere in June, July. By August, I've gathered up all the new things that I've purchased, like my big old stack of read-alouds that I'm excited to sit on the sofa with my kids and read together. More crayons, even though nobody needs more crayons. A box of Smarties to make them smarter. Gummy worms for afternoon reading time. And there is so much excitement on the first day of back to school, probably the second week of September. Depends on what's going on that year. We have a not back to school picnic, of course, with other homeschool families. We might be prepping for a homeschool theater production. That's what we did for the last number of years of our homeschool lives together. But we also were part of a homeschool co-op for many years too. That would usually be somewhere between September to February. We'd follow the routine that I so lovingly put together with color pens. By December, we'd kind of fade out. That was the holiday unit study, although I didn't call it that way back in the day. And I'm so pleased to see newer homeschool moms now just take the entire December off and play and bake and hang out and actually do all the activities that are practically a full-time job anyways in December. And by January, we are getting back into our homeschool routine. Maybe we've undressed the tree and it's drying in the center of the front yard in a big pile of snow and All the decorations are put away, maybe, but we're usually getting back into our routine somewhere a week or two after Christmas. And though in the earlier years, I definitely planned out that entire time and had a great routine intended for more learning, more individualized learning, I wasn't that motivated. In fact, I don't really think I understood that I wasn't that motivated at the earlier years. I thought my kids weren't motivated. I came to understand over the course of time that it wasn't just the kids. I was part of the routine. I wanted to go into a low gear. I wanted to spend afternoons watching documentaries with a bowl of popcorn. 
and then having a good discussion about what we were learning. I wanted maybe to delete an activity or a few, but I can tell you, I did not want to do the same thing that I was doing between September and December. Sometime between March and May, I would pull out the Charlotte Mason books that I had and get inspiration. We would go outside and do poetry by our pond or grab drawing books and draw something while mom read some Charles and Mary Lamb. Have you heard the book? Charles and Mary Lamb, they do a rendition of all the different Shakespeare plays. Very popular. It's very simplified compared to Shakespeare. And so we would do that, or maybe we'd put a play together. There was one year that the kids built their own stage in the backyard, grabbed the red velvet curtains that were left in the rental home that we'd rented and attached it to this outdoor stage. And we acted that out. And they spent their afternoons acting out different plays, maybe a midsummer night or something sweet and light. There were years that we would raise butterflies. We would go mushroom hunting. We'd raise baby chicks. We'd forage and learn how to use different things like dandelions. And of course, there'd be a whole lot of gardening. Classic Charlotte Mason season in our homeschool. We still did a smidge of math. We always followed through with a little bit of math even if it was just 15 minutes a day to reinforce a concept or introduce a new one. But by the beginning of May, we went into the unschool season. Even though there was a time I did a radical unschooling season in our lives, pretty much consistently after that period, every year I would do May and June unschool season. There would be projects. I didn't give a free-for-all to screen time. And so there was increased boredom which between you and me, if you haven't heard me say this before, I actually think there's a bounty in boredom for us and for our children. So I'm not afraid of allowing them to be bored because they did all sorts of cool things. If the kids were still in some sort of extracurricular practice or music practice or dance, then I would still encourage them to do their piano or dance practice. If they were in the older years, I would expect that they do a little bit of math still until the end of June. But then I would ask them, what project do you want to work on today? They might break out those KiwiCo science kits. By the way, what do you do with those projects at the end? I actually have them at the back of the car right now. Does anybody want some? I could actually let you unbuild them to build them up again. No? Hmm. Okay, so what about forensic science kits by Usborne or physics kits or chemistry kits? My kids learned all about slime and oobleck and they made edible stuff in the kitchen too. They discovered the many ways to prepare chicken and pizza dough and bake donuts. They played games, of course, like mind benders. They played the survivor game and were wondering if they could go underwater at the river if it was too cold in the beginning of May with the mountain runoff. No, I didn't recommend this one, but they did this one for years. Carpe Duncum. They learned new opening moves for chess. They wrote stories. There's nothing like listening to a seven-year-old share his mall shooting story. I don't know where he got that idea from. They read more books. Without my encouragement. Horrible histories. First World War is a favorite amongst my young kids. A mother-daughter book club. Life of Pi. Even War and Peace. And that wasn't my suggestion. Of course, they took care of animals. They painted the veranda, built a goat barn, painted 
canvases outdoors. They did all manners of things. So unschool season, they did a lot of stuff and they learned a lot too. But by June and July, we were all done. We just wanted to be finished with any routine whatsoever. Enjoy the great outdoors. By July, I'd finished my kids' portfolios. I'd essentially organize everything into a portfolio that would show all the lovely things that they did that last year. And I'd begin to homeschool plan again. So what have you been noticing about the seasons in your homeschool? Write them down. Observe them. When you write stuff down, it helps you clarify and be intentional. It also helps to remind you that wherever you're at is just a season. Like the present season. Should we call it slump month? Should we call it January blues? Whatever you want to call it, it's a season. It'll come to an end too. But if you'd like a little encouragement, you're welcome to join me in the Facebook group, the Homeschool Mama Support Group, to chat about HSAD. I'm calling it Homeschool Seasonal Affective Disorder and how to plan for it. We'll incorporate a little homeschool hygge. We're just going to have fun chatting about it and creating plans to address it too. At this time of year, more than any other time of year, we get to rethink different elements of our lives. It's a January thing. When I grew up, it was a pick your diet and create your new exercise regime. I'm so glad my kids aren't growing up in that. You do whatever is important to you, but have you considered instead assessing your relationship with yourself? Okay, what does that mean? I'm talking about how you speak to yourself. Do you allow yourself off days when you're not feeling so good? Or do you criticize yourself when you didn't complete your daily routine? Or do you criticize yourself because you haven't yet created a daily routine? Do you spin into a shame spiral when you've engaged your kids in a way that your best self wouldn't admire? Have you considered addressing your relationship with yourself and agreeing with the universe that this is indeed a time, January blues, slump month, a time to go inward and explore what's going on in there? Today, I'm going to share a few ways we can learn from Kristen Neff in her book, Self-Compassion. So welcome to the episode where we consider how Kristen Neff might inform our homeschool life. If you've already read her book before you listen to this episode, would you shoot me a message to tell me how it impacted you? Straight up, we homeschool mamas need to treat ourselves as kindly as we treat our kids because we can't practice on our kids what we're not practicing with ourselves. I'm going to say that again because I think it is pivotal Frankly, I think this quote is so meaningful. We need to dig into it on a regular routine because who we are and how we treat ourselves is how we're going to show up with our kids. We homeschool mamas need to treat ourselves as kindly as we want to treat our kids because we can't practice on our kids what we're not practicing for ourselves. Kristen Neff says, with self-compassion, We give ourselves the same kindness and care we'd give to a good friend. I often share with homeschool mamas that if they're particularly heated with their kids, they should head to the bathroom mirror. Stand in front of the mirror. See that sad, exasperated, angry face? 
What would you say to that sad, exasperated, angry face if it were your friend? So you might say, you look sad. I'm really sorry. You're frustrated. I care about you. Know that I'm with you. I've been there, done that, even maybe this morning. You're a good mom. I see how you engage most of the time, and you care about your kids. What you wouldn't say is this. Girlfriend, you are a horrible mother. Why did you have a child? You are such a screw-up. When will you ever learn how to parent with kindness or gentleness or self-control or you fill in the blank? Nope. Words you would never utter to a friend. So why are you doing that to yourself? We all speak harshly to ourselves at times, and we certainly do it more frequently with ourselves than we do it to others. But the goal should be to practice not doing it. How do you want to speak to your friends? So look back to your face in the mirror when you're upset and speak to that friend in the mirror. I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but I came by that practice on a day when I couldn't access my husband by text because I would have waxed and waned, complained and bellyached as though it was therapeutic. Sometimes it's a little bit therapeutic, but not as much as I wanted that day. I wanted to do it a lot. So what did I do? Well, I tried to text my good friend. (laughs) She wasn't available either. What to do? Who was I going to talk to? So I took myself to the mirror, and I discovered that a useful though odd approach to calming myself down is actually talking to me. And when I'm calm, because the intensity of an emotion always passes, I can decide how to intentionally respond to my anger or my anxiety or my sadness or whatever other intense emotion and head back to my homeschooled kids and engage them intentionally. Self-compassion for the homeschool mama begins with treating ourselves like our own best friend. The second thing I learned from Kristen Neff is from her quote, this quote, the beauty of self-compassion is that instead of replacing negative feelings with positive ones, new positive emotions are generated by embracing the negative ones. Positive emotions of care and connectedness are felt alongside our painful feelings. When we have compassion for ourselves, sunshine and shadow are experienced simultaneously. This is important, ensuring that the fuel of resistance isn't added to the fire of negativity. It also allows us to celebrate the entire range of human experience so that we can become whole. As Marcel Proust said, we are healed from suffering only by experiencing it to the full. Girlfriend, this quote might take a bit to reach its depth in all of us, so I encourage you to check out my post on my website, CapturingTheCharmLife.com, and put Kristen Neff in the search bar at the top, and you can read it again. Okay, say what? What What did she say? That we're supposed to feel into our suffering, feel into our pain, feel into our shadow sides? 
If you're still listening to this, I'm guessing that you've decided that challenge or pain or suffering is part of this life thing. Why would I assume that? Because a discussion on self-compassion means you need to have self-compassion for your discomfort, your challenge, your pain, your suffering. We're humans. Humans have suffering, pain, discomfort, and challenge. When we have compassion for ourselves, sunshine and shadow are both experienced simultaneously, holding two things inside us at the same time. As we embrace our negative feelings, they feel heard and seen and honored. And that's all that negative feelings need. An ear, a validation that they exist, an honoring of the person behind those uncomfortable feelings. Accepting them, accepting the negative feelings or the uncomfortable feelings helps us to feel fully human. And we need to accept our humanness. If there is anything I've learned from my own suffering, it is that I cannot pretend the suffering isn't there. Girl, I tried. When I try to pretend the suffering isn't there, I don't acknowledge my deep needs. And I don't create a construct for addressing that pain. Addressing those negative feelings isn't an option. I have to address them. And when I do, when I acknowledge them, see them, witness them, they feel seen and heard. And I can go on. Cue Celine Dion, my heart shall go on. This past week, I shared a picture of my beautiful youngest two kids on socials, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon. It was of my son, Zach, when he was a newborn in the arms of his just older sister. He's got three older sisters. His just older sister, who's about three years older, just beaming as she is squishing him tight and loving on him. I shared that it was hard to believe that with cuties like this, I could be losing my stuff. And in this photo op, I probably was not losing my stuff. It wouldn't be typical to see a photo of a mom losing her temper, regretting her tone, her words, her volume on Instagram or anywhere. Quick kids, grab the camera. Mama's gonna blow. Gotta keep it real, Instagram. But girlfriend behind closed doors, I hear this discussion all the time, all the time. As though we are the only ones to lose our tempers as homeschool moms. FYI, you are not alone. You are among the masses. We don't want to be angry with such beautiful creatures. They were given to us to nurture. And that is true. And yet sometimes we have lost our tempers. Human beings feel an anger. It's a thing. We all experience it. Some of us were taught how to feel it and engage it. Many of us weren't. When we allow the unhealthy patterns to continue, we begin to feel like a failure and spend too much of our time and our lives in a guilt and shame spiral. This past week, we had an authentic, compelling conversation discussing these exact things in the self-compassion class. You can still register for it, by the way. If this is you, homeschool mama, if you're the homeschool mama that feels like, yeah, 
you're losing your stuff more than you want to be. You don't have a plan to address it. I'm going to encourage you with these four thoughts. Know this. One, you can change your patterns. Two, it'll take work and time. Three, you can do it alongside someone who's been there, done that, and has a lot of tools and resources. And four, even if you don't reach out, I want you to hear this. There will always be those moments or days or seasons where you wish you could take back, when you wish you could have a redo. And I think you can. You put your hand on your heart and you tell yourself, I'm sorry, I didn't approach that moment or child the way that my best self wants to. I forgive me for not showing up as I want. I'll try to learn more about why that triggered me, learn how to approach it for the next opportunity, the next moment, because girl, you'll get a next moment, and tell yourself, I love you. So if you're done with the frustration, the confusion or guilt, the feeling of failure and that shame spiral, connect with me. We'll explore a root of your challenge in the intensive, create an action plan to address it, and I'll offer you a gentle accountability plan too. I want to share with you what three homeschool moms that I've worked with have shared with me about working with me. Maria shared, I want to share a small moment with you. One thing that I've done for myself since we talked is to set two alarms on my phone, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. When they go off, a soft, beautiful musical sound goes off. I pause, put my hand on my heart, take a few deep breaths. The kids have been occasionally doing this with me too when they're with me. The other day, we were all in the kitchen when the alarm went off. All three of us stopped, put our hands on our hearts in complete silence, and took deep breaths together. It was a beautiful moment. Thank you. Pat says, ah, this anger story brought back those memories for me. I'm a recovering angry woman. Maybe a better way to phrase that is healing work in progress, ex-angry woman. I love that question about when kids disobey, what would my best self do? Never thought about that way. It's also a great approach to befriend yourself in the mirror. I'm being very intentional about positive affirmations this year, but telling them to myself in the mirror sounds like a great step to take. You're doing a great work for homeschool mamas, Teresa. And Sonia said, my great insight is that taking care of me doesn't mean I'm being selfish or ignoring my kids' needs. Quite opposite, actually. The more I treat myself with kindness, listen to my needs and try to address them, the more at ease I will be, the more at ease my whole family will be. It's all about energy, using mine wisely to be there more energetically for everyone else. Amen, Sonia. Okay, let's get back to the episode. P.S. You don't have to write any of the quotes down. You can head over to my website, capturingthecharmlife.com, and type in Kristen Neff's name into the search bar. Or look for self-compassion, too. Okay, so Kristen Neff reminds us, quote, When we hold negative feelings and thoughts in non-judgmental awareness, we are able to pay attention to them without getting stuck like Velcro. Mindfulness allows us to see that our negative thoughts and emotions are just that. 
thoughts and emotions, not necessarily reality. They are therefore given less weight. They're observed, but not necessarily believed. In this way, negatively biased thoughts and emotions are allowed to arise and pass away without resistance. It allows us to deal with whatever life brings our way with greater equanimity. This concept was revolutionary for me and in how I approached everything. Just because I had a thought or a feeling doesn't mean it's true. I remember listening to Dr. Daniel Amen speaking about ants, which he referred to as automatic negative thoughts. He said we all have negative thoughts, but we get to decide what to do with them. Mind blown. Aren't the thoughts me? No, not necessarily. Just like clouds in the sky pass through the sky, your thoughts and feelings pass through you too. Clouds are not the sky. So if that be the case, then why do we believe those thoughts and respond and react to them like they are us and we must do something about them? Not sure, but I do know how challenging it is to let them go and not allow them to stick like Velcro. The magic potion that helps me anti-Velcro my thoughts? Meditation and mindfulness. You don't have to train to be a Buddhist monk or a yogi to practice meditation and mindfulness. Just sit. Simply sit. Take a deep breath in. Stare at a spot in the wall. Allow yourself to sit there for a moment and just focus on the spot. Not doing anything weird, just looking at a spot on the wall. Keep your eyes on the spot. But notice what is in your peripheral vision. The colors, the textures, the objects. Keep your eyes on the spot. Take another deep breath. Imagine what might be beyond your peripheral vision. You've probably sat in this room before. I'm guessing you're probably not even sitting. You're probably doing the laundry. But anyways, you've been in this space before. So you know probably what's there. But just imagine. Don't look. Continue to stare at the spot. Take another deep breath. Imagine what might be behind you. Do a full 360 view in your mind's eye as you continue to stare at the blank spot on the wall. Take another deep breath. Okay, how do you feel? That right there was a meditative practice amongst many others. So how are you feeling? You didn't become a monk. You weren't in a trance. Well, maybe you were, but just a mini one. You just were. You just sat. Present. You were present. You weren't occupied with your other thoughts. Not swept away by the dishes or laundry. Probably not focused on the next thing you have to do on your checklist. You practiced presence, which is a strategy of self-compassion for the homeschool mom. 
So have you heard any self-compassion strategies that you could include in your homeschool? I'd love to hear about it. In this post, I have five things that we can learn from Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. I'm only going to share four. The fourth today comes from this quote. She says, the key to happiness was understanding that suffering is caused by resisting pain. Once upon a time, I didn't want to ever feel pain again. This is a true story from my life. Is it the first line of one of your stories too? It's a pretty common one. Nobody wants to feel pain. Some of us are quite intentional about avoiding it. I didn't like pain because it made me feel scared, insecure, unloved, and uncertain. As proof to my story, I started a blog called Capturing the Charmed Life. Why title a website that name? Because I wanted charms, girlfriend. No more challenges. You're welcome, universe. I wanted charms, not heartache. Perfection was my goal, so no bumps along the way, thank you. I wanted charms, no pain. By pursuing that charm life, I ignored the stuff that wasn't right. Naturally, I ignored multiple purple elephants in the room. Have you heard that concept of a purple elephant? Something that is there, but you're trying to ignore, but it's still dancing. And I tried very hard to pretend I didn't see those purple elephants. I ignored relationships that weren't right. I ignored others overstepping my boundaries. Wait, did I really even have boundaries? I'm not really sure I did. Obviously, I ignored my health and wellness. If I acknowledged them, it would have required I recognize the ramifications of those purple elephants. Ramifications like relationships that needed work. Other people had to own their stuff, but so did I. I had to develop a separate sense of myself so I could even know what my boundaries might be. How was I eating? Or how was I not exercising? Or how was I taking care of my body? I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't taking time away from myself. Fast forward almost two decades later from a really pivotal summer, I've learned that I had a very good reason to ignore those purple elephants. And most people do. Because some of those purple elephants wanted to sit on me and suppress me if I acknowledged they were there which required me to practice some heavy resistance training and resist that purple elephant. There were purple elephants that wanted me to simply watch them all day long, but I learned I had other things to do in my life and I didn't want to spend my life watching them. Some of those purple elephants were a making of my own by not taking care of myself. Subsequently, I've learned there is no way to live a charmed life continuously. Life will not allow for utopia. But turn challenges into charms? Oh yeah, girlfriend. I can do that. I've learned I can do that by not resisting pain, not pretending that purple elephants aren't dancing in my room. 
So girlfriend, I would love to hear how these lessons from Kristen Neff's book impact you. I want to hear from you. You can connect with me on all the socials, or you can send me a message on my website, Capturing the Charmed Life. Now you know why I named it that. Thanks for joining me today. It means a lot for me to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, the Patreon support group, or my website, Capturing the Charm Life. Shoot me a message with your thoughts, ideas, or questions. And if you can invest a minute in me, could you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? If you grab your phone, find my podcast, and go to the bottom of the page, you'll see a button where you can write a review. When you do that, you're sending a message to the algorithm to let Ms. Algorithm know to share my podcast with other homeschool families. Like Michelle, Michelle G1986 shared back in December, Teresa has so much wisdom to share. She's always kind and real, which makes her so relatable. This podcast is my top go-to when I need self-care and inspiration in my homeschool. She understands how overwhelming and lost you can get when you're in the thick of homeschooling and how important and yet difficult caring for yourself in the process can be. Thanks for leaving that, Michelle, and I'm really glad that that is the message that you hear. And if you want to support me in the work that I do sitting here in my closet, I would be so grateful for that too. You can do that over at patreon.com slash homeschoolmamaselfcare. And when you do this, you'll also have a special invite to join me for two hours of monthly support for whatever you need in your homeschool at just about approximately $10 a month, depends on where you live. You can find that at patreon.com slash homeschoolmamaselfcare. I'm looking forward to getting to know you and your homeschool family. Until next week, I hope that you and your kids can turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. You got this, girlfriend.